Our scripture this morning is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting with verse 9. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does or anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. May God bless the reading of and the hearing of his word. Good morning. morning. How's everybody today? Oh, wow. Look at everybody. This is great. Must be getting to be spring. People are starting to come out of the woodwork. That's great. We love having you here. Um, 
I want to talk about what it's like to be with God, to live in God's presence today a little bit. But I couldn't fit my stuff in my basket. So give me a second. Okay. Good stuff, right? Spring cleaning time coming, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, when I was looking at the scripture, I'm thinking, oh, okay. A lot of 12s in here. Maybe I should talk about 12. Uh, A lot of gold. Maybe I should talk about gold. A lot of stones, pretty stones. We talked about stones the other week. Mm. And then I thought about what the big picture was. Silly me. I should have thought about that first. This is the end of the Bible. This is the end of the world as we know it. But if you look at the beginning in Genesis, it's a sort of like it, right? In the beginning, God created everything, and it was good. And it was wonderful, and we had a wonderful relationship with God until sin came into the world. And that was a problem. It made things dirty. And we had to find a way to get rid of that dirt. So God gave us a way. What was the way? Anybody know? Oh, before that. Way before that. There were ten of them. The law, the Ten Commandments, the law. And that was kind of like a broom. You know, it was good. You can sweep up a lot of good stuff with your broom. And if you ever sweep a carpet, it works okay, but it's not great because it doesn't get the stuff that's down inside. Yeah? And it usually makes dust, so it just kind of just moves the dirt around. And I don't know about you, but whenever I use a dustpan, I can never get that last little line. Yeah? So it just never seems to quite go away. And I thought, hmm. Well, it was definitely better than having all of that sin and all of that dirt. So it was pretty good. It was sort of like getting back to Eden, get back to that relationship. We got rid of most of that stuff, but it just kind of keeps coming back. And God knew that too. So he sent us something even better than the law and the commandments. He sent us Jesus. Right. And now... We have a vacuum cleaner, because a vacuum cleaner sucks up all that dirt on the surface and all the stuff that's underneath the surface, and it takes it away, unless you're like me and you spill it. Then you just vacuum it up again, and it's gone. That dirt isn't going to be back on the floor, not like when I sweep and I move it around and I never quite get it all up. The vacuum cleaner takes it all up, takes it away. Pretty awesome, right? That's even better, because Jesus gave us that method. He gave us that. He took away all that stuff, all that bad stuff. Now, unfortunately, at my house, we constantly have to push the vacuum cleaner. There's always dirt. Between the broom and the vacuum cleaner, we, we need to use it all the time. And that's okay. Jesus said he'll forgive us and forgive us and forgive us. But then I thought about heaven, and I thought, 
we won't need to have to ask for forgiveness because there won't be anything that we need to be forgiven for. Because heaven's going to be a wonderful place and all those things aren't going to get in there. There's not going to be any dirt up there. So we can just spend time praising and worshiping. We won't have to spend time pushing a vacuum cleaner because we'll be able to be in the presence of the greatest Savior in the world. He's taken away all of that and made life wonderful for us when we get there. Just like it was in Eden before sin came in. Pretty cool, huh? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are the great Savior, that you came and you took away all the dirt from our lives. Help us to praise you and worship you, love you and share you with everyone we meet. We know that you want us all to be with you. And so we ask that you would help us to share that message so that we can all be in your presence the way you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, speak through my mouth, speak to our hearts. We pray that we will be open to the work that you want to do in us and among us today, in Jesus' name, amen. I gotta say, I think there are a lot of compelling ideas about what the next life is gonna be like, especially the new heavens and the new earth, um, but I really like Barb's thing about not having to vacuum anymore. <laughs> I actually blew up our vacuum cleaner a couple weeks ago, and now we have a new one which is way better, and it actually makes it almost a joy to vacuum, but there's still a lot to vacuum all the time. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm a fan of that illustration. I, um, that's not the illustration I was planning to start with, though. I was thinking, actually, in terms of Valentine's Day, which was on Monday, um, because in our passage from Revelation that Bernice read, we see this wedding analogy. I often bring up the fact that the Bible uses a marriage analogy or a wedding analogy a lot when talking about God's relationship with God's people or Jesus' relationship with the church. And we see this here in the beginning of the passage. The angel says to the apostle John, come see the bride of the lamb. The prince finally gets his bride. This is a happily ever after ending to a story. A um, little note about biblical analogies and metaphors and symbols and stuff like that. Um, it's, in some ways, it's good to notice the details because, like, in this passage, there were all these details about how big the city was and how wide the walls were and, there, and all the jewels that were in there and the gates were made out of one huge giant pearl each, which is really kind of like, imagine what the oysters look like that make those things. <laughs> um, and there are, we could have probably 
a sermon series just about what each of those details could be telling us about God and the kingdom of God. That's not today's sermon, though. Um, but there's something important, something else important to keep in mind when we're reading the Bible in general, but also when we're reading these um, very descriptive passages, or when, or when we're thinking about symbols that kind of carry on through Scripture, like this wedding thing. Um, we can, we can get hung up on how these things play out in human life. So, for example, Jesus tells parables, and he uses very human illustrations because that's what we connect with. But there's always some way in which the illustrations point to something bigger beyond them, and so you can't make a point-by-point about every single detail in there. Or if we're talking about the Trinity and we say the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there's something about the relationship of the Father and the Son that is like a father and a son here, and that's why we use those terms, but in a way it doesn't completely describe what's happening in God, because in our world, the father is born first and then the son, but God, the Trinity, has lasted forever. All three persons of the Trinity have lasted as long as each other. They've existed as long as each other. Jesus didn't come second. So these are, just kind of keep that thought in the back of your mind, because we could get really hung up on this whole bride thing. The church is the bride of Christ, but there are men in the church, right? This isn't just just a religion for women. Um, and, and also, the angel says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, but then what does John actually see in the passage? Revelation 21, verse probably 10. What's that? He sees a city, right? So somehow this city functions as this bride for Jesus Christ. So it's important to not get too, like, assume that everything that the Bible is describing analogy-wise is exactly how it is in our human experience. Anyway, so he sees a city. The happily ever after that God wants in God's story is the permanent overlap of the heavens and the earth, which we've been talking about since the beginning of the year. God wants God's self and humanity to always be, to always overlap, to always be in perfect fellowship with each other, perfect intimate fellowship, like a good marriage. But it's not just one person It's a glorious community. It's not just God made Adam and he was like, oh, I like this, this is great, and that's all. God and Adam forever and ever. Um, And it wasn't even just God and Adam and Eve. It's God and fill the earth and subdue it. More and more people to become this community of image-bearing expressors of God into creation. God and humans bringing order out of chaos together instead of God's over here somewhere far away just kind of letting us spin off on our own and and we're trying to bring order ourselves. Um, We are trying to 
make our own technology by ourselves without consulting God. We are trying to create our own civilizations and our own cultures ourselves without paying attention to God. That's what we saw at the Tower of Babel, and that is what ha that's what we see in human history. It just happens over and over and over again. We try to do all of we try to bring order out of chaos ourselves, but it just without God it just creates more chaos. So God's whole plan from the time he created until Jesus comes back is God and humans in glorious, intimate, joyful, loving community together. And as Barr pointed out, the passage today echoes the creation story, but it also echoes a lot of the other things we've read in this series. We see, you know, there's in the creation story and in this passage, there's the trees, the important trees, and there's water, rivers, and um, jewels. In Genesis chapter 2, there's a lot about the rivers and the jewels. Um, so this, these things overlap, um, but we've also talked about the building of the tabernacle, and there was a lot of concrete detail that we read about that, the measurements of the materials that were being used. That we see that here too. Um, and then we saw the temple, and that happens also. And the glory and the honor of the nations were prayed for by Solomon in the first man-made temple, God-blessed temple. And now we see the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. It is a house, a city that God is building, made of redeemed humans from all nations, all colors, all ethnicities, all parts of human history, all coming together around the Lamb. But, did you notice there's one thing that's strange about this? It said, there's no temple. What's that? No temple needed. Why? God's the temple. Yes. God and the Lamb. God, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. As we saw, Jesus is the place where humans and where humanity and divinity completely overlap. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human, and he is our temple. And when we unite around him, we get that kind of community that doesn't put barriers between ages or social status or economic status or cultures or anything because we're united around Jesus. This is the picture of the new heavens and the new earth. So some of you, you know that I'm going to, at the end of the summer, I'll be preaching a short sermon series using some of your questions. And some of you have been sending me questions already, which is great. I encourage you to keep doing that because, and there, I haven't encountered any dumb questions yet, so um, yours won't be dumb either. <laughs> if you haven't sent it, go ahead, um, because I'm actually probably going to cover a couple of them before that sermon series. Um, some of you seem to have anticipated where the trajectory of this year is going, and so we'll, we'll see some of this. But somebody sent me a question this week that I'm going to bring up here, and this is the question. Why do people feel that the way to truly worship God is in church and being there all the time? You can worship God by caring for a sick person, helping the elderly, caring for a child, being kind to animals and nature, etc. 
good question. I want to hear from you guys. What do you think? You do? Okay. Well, so what if it's reworded a little bit like, do I really need to go to church because I can worship God by caring for people? What, why do I need to go to church? Okay, you need the fellowship of other Christians to help you grow. Okay. Okay, so in the, in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it does say, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's a place for rest. That's true. Our Yes, our church covenant in the back of the hymnal has some words around that from that Hebrews passage. Uh-huh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, it's meant to be, at least, a shelter for the poor and the sick and the downtrodden. Okay, it's easy to get burned out without the support of others. It's harder to grow. All right. So these are a lot of really good reasons. Let's be clear. You absolutely can worship God by helping others and taking care of the environment and being kind to animals. In fact, that is what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. That is what the life of worship is supposed to overflow into. That's the whole thing that God wants, his ordering love to throw, flow through our lives so that we are caring for the sick and we are caring for the people who are oppressed and we're caring for the creation that he made. That is worship. And there are some, if we take this question literally, there are some real dangers if we are only in church all the time. There are definitely groups of Christians, there are definitely churches that become so insular and so like, this is our special community and we're safe here, that they don't interact with anybody outside their walls at all. Everything is the church. They don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. There's no, they don't know what's going on in the world. They're afraid of what's going on in the world. They don't want to even know because what if it makes me doubt or something like that? That's dangerous. It's not only not great for the community around us, but it is actually dangerous for us. Um, because when, you know it's not healthy for one person to be isolated, right? We've all experienced some degree of that over the last few years of isolation. And that, even those of us who are introverts, which I am one, it's not healthy to just be in your own space, in your own head all the time. And it's not healthy for communities to be like that either. So isolation is bad, but one of the things that happens in isolation is deception can creep, can creep in, and there is absolutely no way to tell if you're being deceived, because you're all, there, here's a popular term these days, echo chamber. You're just hearing the same thing from everybody all the time, 
and there's no, you, there's no way to challenge your thinking so that you can grow, and you can be deceived. And there are actually religious movements that have started, and I'm not going to name them from here, but because one or a small group of people just kind of pulled themselves up together, even with the Bible, and just put their own spin on it and never had any kind of input, godly input from anybody else. Um, and when that happens, things, that community is likely to die out eventually. So isolation, deception, and death are the results if we are only in church all the time. But there is a way in which being in church all the time is actually really important and really healthy, and that is when the church, when the temple, the overlap of heaven and earth, when Jesus is in us all the time. When Jesus is in us all the time, and we go to serve another person, or help the elderly, or care for children, or care for the environment, or take care of animals, that is when we are effective, and when we are bringing temple to earth, when we are bringing the heavens to the earth, when we are bringing God to the rest of creation. Let's be clear. As followers of Jesus Christ, if our lives are not worshiping him outside of these walls, we're doing it wrong. We're not actually following him. Jesus was on the move. He did stuff. But if we're not spending time together, in our context, it's in this building, uh, but it could be, it doesn't, it's not only Sunday mornings. We've got Bible studies in the evenings and on Saturdays, and we have people hanging out doing good works here on Thursdays and, and doing stuff out in the world. If we do those things without this fellowship and without spending time learning from the word here and on our own, and if we're not praying and if we're not worshiping God through song and if we're just ignoring that and then we go and try to help people, it will not be the God-fueled, God-loving help that God made us to offer. And we will burn out, like Lorna said, and we will also, the, the good works that we do will not be worshipped to God. Because we don't, we're not getting to know God. We don't know God if we're, not, if we're not spending time with God on our own and with our brothers and sisters. It all becomes self-fueled like the Tower of Babel. I can, and I have done this, <laughs> I can go out there and work my tail off to help somebody just because I should, or because it makes me feel like a good person, or because it makes other people like me, or because it looks good, or because I'm a pastor's kid and that's what pastor's kids do unless they go totally off the rails, which is the other thing that pastor's kids do. Um, I, that is all about me. 
And that is very deadening. It's exhausting. There is not enough in me by myself to fuel that, to fuel those good works long, time, long term. And I will, and I know this because it has happened, I will start to resent the people I'm, hurting, I'm helping, hurting, probably hurting. <laughs> um, when I was in London, I, I moved to London in my early 20s, and I was a Christian, and I, I loved Jesus, and I know that God had me there on purpose, but I was also pretty immature, just in general, um, and in my faith. And I was trying to do a lot of this stuff that I was doing on my own steam, and I realized I really don't like any of these people. I really don't like them. And I was convicted by 1 Corinthians 13, where it says if you do all of these good things without love, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so now I call that condition of serving others and doing good works without God, I call that clanging symbolitis. You're welcome. You can use that term whenever you want. Um, it's exhausting, and it fails. Ultimately, it fails. It doesn't help the other person. It doesn't help me. But I started, after I realized that this was going on in myself, I, I turned my life around. I mean, I was going to church then, I worked for a church, so I had to. But I started also taking time myself to connect with God. I would set aside one day off a month where I would basically go off and take a long walk, and maybe I would fast, and I would have this set of things that I was particularly praying for that I wanted to just talk and interact with God about. Or maybe I would read a good Christian book or something like that, but I just knew that I needed to spend time with God, letting God love me so that I could actually love these other people. And guess what? It actually worked. I loved those people. And I love these people. But it's not because I'm so great and I'm so loving. I'm not. It's because God is. And I'm trying to be really intentional about spending time with God. God, the church, gets in us so that when we go out there and we're helping people or we're taking care of the environment, we are worshiping God by first inviting Jesus into our lives, but especially accepting Jesus' invitation into his life. Did you know that that's what Jesus does? When Jesus says to you, come follow me, Jesus never says to anybody in the Gospels, ask me into your heart. He said some things that, that, that people were like, what are you talking about? But that wasn't one of them. Although if he had said it, <laughs> they probably would have said, what are you talking about? But he says, come follow me, and that is an invitation to us to enter into Jesus' life. And Jesus' life is one of caring for others because Jesus is the complete overlap of the heavens and the earth of God and humanity expressing the love of God perfectly. We can't express the love of God unless we've received the love of God and keep receiving it. God loves us 
God loves you. And he will shower his love on us all the time, no matter where we are, no matter what's happening, whether we, whether we acknowledge him or not. But we can't fully receive or acknowledge his love as he intends us to unless we're taking time to interact with him directly, both on our own time, by ourselves, and also in the community of people where he's placed us. This, Central Baptist Church, is the community where God has placed us. And hopefully, he's going to place some other people here. But right now, it's us. We've got Jesus here in us. We need each other because God loves us through each other in different ways. So the way that I love, according to my personality, is going to be the diff different than the way that Bernice loves or the way David or Paul or Barbara loves. But God can still love us in those specific ways. I was talking to someone this week who um, has, it's really awful actually, has had a number of friends suddenly die in their 60s. Um, and her mother is also on hospice. And so she was talking to me about grief and trying to figure out why she was so sad because all of these people knew Jesus. So they're all fine. Like they're they're well. But she's sad. And I said, I wonder if part of why we grieve when people die is because God, we don't have any less of God's love. But we don't have God's love in that person's way anymore. And it's okay to grieve that. But that is how God loves and this is what God designed. And so we need to come here and worship God together in song and in prayer and in learning from scripture and in celebrating communion so that we can kind of recharge the image of God in us so we can take it out there. Because we need to be a body together, like that, like Paul talking about the knee going off into the garden, into the woods with God while the rest of the body is limping along. We're a body. We need all the parts. We're the bride of Christ. We are being readied for this union with God. We are a community. We are a holy city. We are becoming part of the stones in the new Jerusalem. And this is all happening until the new Jerusalem. One day, creation will be fully restored. One day, our purpose to be full, unbroken image bearers of God will be restored. And this is what will happen. We will work in partnership with and empowered by God to bring his love throughout, I believe, not just the earth, but throughout the universe in verses 20, in Revelation 22, verse 2, it says, The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There is a lot of healing that is going to need to happen to every human being on this planet and to many groups of human beings on this planet. And I think 
that even though Jesus is going to restore all things, he's going, he wanted us to partner with him in the beginning of creation, and I think he wants us to help with the healing. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We will no longer fight our fallen nature or each other's fallen natures because we won't have them anymore. And the effects of sinful humanity on the rest of creation will be gone. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. Praise God. Continual access to and direct presence of God. We will be able to go before God and go out recharged by God and bring his healing and love to creation and then go back and, and just be with God in person directly. Verse 3 also says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And we will perfectly express and receive God's image. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I read a poem this week that was actually about this, and I meant to bring it to read it, but one of the lines was, apparently this woman doesn't like tattoos, and she said, the one tattoo I'm looking forward to is God's name on my forehead. <laughs> it was not good, even in the first creation, for the man to be alone. And so in the new creation, we end up with people in direct fellowship with God and in perfect community with each other from every language, every ethnicity, every nation, from all of history. And this is why, between then and now, we continue to persist, we continue to make the effort and do the hard work of getting to know God on our own and together, coming before God on our own and together until Jesus returns in person and resets us for good. In verse 5, it says, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. In the meantime, we continue to worship God together as we sing, pray, learn, and fellowship. And we continue to dedicate time on our own to communicating with God, getting to know him that way. And on the strength of those two things, we will grow into God's purpose for us in the here and now, reflecting glimpses of the bride of Christ and of the new Jerusalem until Jesus comes back to make all things, including us, new. And the way we do that is by caring for each other and caring for people out there, the elderly and the sick and the children and environment and the animals and people that are like us and people that aren't like us, that is how we grow into God's purpose of temple until the new Jerusalem, when he comes back to make us new and to be our everlasting temple forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this promise. I, for one, think that this couldn't happen soon enough. <laughs> um, and yet, I am grateful for all of us for the opportunity and the honor that it is to try to express you and try to get closer to you and get to know you together and on our own here and in the world um, until Jesus comes back. Please, Lord, keep us faithful to you. 
in your name. Amen.